Romans chapter 5, and we're going to continue on in Romans. Last week, Rory left off at verse 11, and so we will pick it up today, and we're going to go through verses uh, 12 through 21. How many of you need uh, motivation, help, encouragement for life, for Christian living? Anybody out there? Anyone at all? A couple of you. The rest of you are um, perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, we all need motivation, don't we? We all know that. We need motivation for life. Uh, we need motivation. We need some kind of fuel as Christians to live a life of contentment, to live a life of satisfaction, a life of obedience, a sacrificial life, a life with godly character, a life with peace, a life with rest, and most importantly, we need motivation, we need help, we need encouragement, we need some kind of fuel to live a life that would bring glory and honor to God. Paul is going to show us this, um, how this comes about. He's going to tell us where this fuel comes from, and he's been doing that actually for a handful of weeks now from here in our pulpit, starting in verses uh, uh, 20 of chapter 3. We start at the beginning of justification. Okay, so for the first three and a half chapters, it's the condemnation that we have. What happened to us as sinners? We are condemned to die. We are enemies of God. Okay, and then so in verse 20 of chapter 3, that starts to shift, and we see that those of us who believe, those of us who have faith in what Jesus Christ has done, his perfect life, death, and resurrection, we have his righteousness. That's justification, okay? So we now have peace with God. Okay, so this is the end of that. Uh, in, in chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, what we're going to go through today, this is the end of that section of justification. Okay, and so a couple things that I want to accomplish today, uh, that I hope to accomplish today, is, is to uh, exegete the text, okay? And what that means is simply just we're going to look at what the text says, what God says to us, what the truth of this text is, what the point of this text is, okay, the, this final passage of justification before it gets into life lived out sanctification. We're going to actually take a look at this for what it is, and then we're going to pull back from this text, and we're going to see how this text is the, the doorway to the rest of Romans, the rest of Christian living, okay? And so those are the two things that I want to try to accomplish today. And um, as you have your Bibles open to chapter 5 of Romans, why don't we pray and ask God for all the help he'll give us. Father, we uh, come before you excited to look at justification, Lord. Uh, our hearts should just leap with joy should leap with thanksgiving, Lord, for those of us who know you, for those of us who understand justification, for those of us that are saved. God, this is the excitement of Christian life. God, this is hope. And Father, we ask that you would uh, bear that on us today, on our hearts, on our minds, every ounce of us, Lord. Let that just creep in the crevices of legalism, Lord, that we may still have as a remnant of fallen man, where we want to try to please you with our goodness, with our efforts, Lord. Let that be shown today that that is in futile thinking. God, help us understand what you want to say to us here. 
Help us get the heart of Paul as he was pleading with the city of Rome to hear this message about the power of the cross of Christ, Lord. God, let us feel that. Let us enjoy that, Lord. So not only let us see it, may we long for that. May we appreciate that, God, to a level uh, that, that brings us to tears, Lord, that brings us to joy. And then, God, we understand that this is our fuel to live. God, just open your scripture. Bring clarity of mind. Bring clarity of heart, Lord. Let us understand and follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so uh, starting in verse 12, starting in verse 12, Chad read the text, so we won't reread it. <clears throat> we'll just get going right away. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, let me stop right there. Do we have, uh, we have some technical difficulty? We were going to have the, I'm, I'm teaching in the ESV, and a lot of you may have New King James or other translations. We actually had first service the ESV up on the screen, so you could follow along that way. So I guess if it's up there, you can follow along. If not, follow along in your own Bibles there. So, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. <clears throat> so we see right away in verse 12 that sin came into the world through a man. Sin didn't come into the world through Satan. Okay, it wasn't Satan's fault. Yes, he was in the garden. It wasn't figuratively. He was there. Okay, he confused, deceived Eve and Adam into sinning. Yes, we can say that, but we see right here the blame goes to man. Actually, it doesn't even go to Eve. It goes to Adam. So just a little side note, guys. That's a lot of weight on the man. That's a lot of weight on the man. As we see that here, it's blamed upon man, blamed upon Adam, not upon Eve. Um, so sin came into the world through one man, not through Satan and not through God. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he does rule. Yes, he does reign. Psalm 93, 1 tells us that nothing happens inside this world without God. He is the one all-powerful. However, we are also know, and we're also told here specifically, that he didn't cause this sin. He didn't do it. So we get right away that it's a man, and he brought sin into this world, and then it says, and death through sin. So we also get to see right there that death wasn't a part of the plan. It wasn't a part of the original picture, okay? That this sin that man chose to do brought about death. And that's speaking of actually spiritual and physical death in that sentence, okay? So because man sinned, we now have death spiritually and physically into this world. And I don't have to build this point up much. I don't have to talk you into believing this. You guys see right away how true this is. All you got to do is uh, flip on your iPhones or look on the Internet, pick up the newspaper, if anybody still does that anymore, uh, and read you know, your headlines. You can see right away the, the um, outpouring of sin and death. Uh, I just got on my iPhone yesterday as I was studying and just started, you know, I was like, well, what comes up first? And just started writing a few things down. Um, the first one, kind of comically, um, still sin shown there, but I thought I had to share it. There's this guy that goes on a date with his gal, 
and uh, he asks her to drive, so she drives, and they go to the movie theater, and while they're at the movie theater, they're watching this movie, he says, hey, I need your keys, i got to go grab something out of the car, and then she, you know, he's gone. Next thing she knows, she gets a text saying that, ha-ha, I stole your car. So this was the plan for this guy, for this date, I'm going to take your car. <laughs> he got busted. Um, Jerry Sandusky, I don't know if you guys have heard about that, just horrific um, case, uh, a, a coach, at, an ex-coach of Penn State University, he's got 50 counts of felony um, child, sexual child abuse. Um, that's just slated, it hasn't been proven, but uh, more than 10 kids have, have spoken, and, and we look at that and it's like, man, how horrific. I also read just yesterday that a woman uh, coming home, have, she had groceries, and she lived in an apartment complex, I guess, and she was on her way home, and she was in the elevator, and as she was getting out, a man come around the corner and sprayed stuff all over her and then threw a match on her, and she burned to death in the elevator. One more. Uh, I also saw where a, a woman... Um, was reported that she heard some gunshots next door. So she runs out of the house and she looks over there across at her neighbor and she sees the, the mom kind of hovering over the baby below. And she, you know, hearing the gunshots, seeing the position of the mom, she's just thinking, you know, something bad has happened. So she yells across, is everything all right? And the mom says no. And she like stands up and shoots the baby, kills the baby. She's already killed her other two kids and her husband, and then she kills herself. You guys, this is the world that we live in. This is what this sentence is saying, that sin entered through Adam, and it's affected all of us. And because of sin, death. And this world is a dark place where death still reigns. That will get changed in, in, in uh, Revelation 21.4, we see that death will no longer reign when Jesus comes back. But for now, those of us who are still only in the man Adam, in our sin, death still reigns. And it's a dark, broken place. Even for we who love Jesus and know him to be Savior, it still exists. There's still a lot of pain and difficulty and sin and death, and we see it, and this is the world that we live in. I believe Paul was not only showing us by taking us back to Adam here, and we'll see this in just a minute, that sin is all-encompassing of everyone, and that everyone has sinned, and everyone gets an opportunity at, at grace and at salvation, but the depths of sin, the depths of sin, it's, it's deep, it's, it, and it's powerful that through one man sin entered into this world. We'll keep reading in chapter, or in verse uh, 12 there. It says, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. At first glance, this looks at, looks like it's because all sinned, so they're going to die. Actually, we are condemned, these verses tell us later on, because of the one man. This verse actually is speaking in context that because of what Adam did, we are condemned. All mankind is condemned. It starts up in there at the beginning and says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man, and it goes, and so thus this is true. One man 
It came in, and it's this one man it inflicts all. We can actually see it uh, in verse 18 spelled out a little bit more clearly. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, that doesn't seem very fair, and we'll address that in just a minute. Uh, Let's get into verse 13 and see how this is true, Um, that Adam is the one who has caused this. Verse 13 says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So the question comes, what happens to the people? Okay, you have the law, and that came through Moses, the Ten Commandments, right? Well, that's sometime after Adam. So what happens to those people in here? What's, what's going on? And it appears, though, once again, that it, you know, it can be a little bit confusing. It says, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So were these people innocent then? What happened to these people? What's going on? Adam is simply just trying to show us that original sin is the problem. Okay? And, but 14 says, no, that's not the case because death still reigned from Adam to Moses. So these people still died. And this is talking about a physical death. Okay, so what happened to these people? What's going on with this section of people right here? Because now I'm kind of confused. And the Jews might be sitting here saying, well, we, we know the law. We know what it says. We know what the law brought. What about these people here? Well, we can go back to chapter 1 of Romans and see that um, everybody should have the opportunity. Everybody has the opportunity to see, uh, it says in verse 20, that it is clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world through the images of the world. So man isn't unclean. It's on his heart. Chapter 2 also tells us that it's on his heart, on man's heart. So everyone from Adam on, okay, and from Adam specifically to Moses, the law of God is written on your heart so you're not clean. So from Adam to Moses, it simply just means this. They, yes, they did have an opportunity for salvation the same way as from Moses and beyond. Okay? And that's just trusting in God, not self. All right? It was a little bit tough. Had to go through a lot of commentary to try to figure out what the heck this was saying. I actually wanted to really just skip over it, but I knew you guys wouldn't let me. So, anyway, so it's just simply stating and trying to show us that the power of sin has been around since Adam. This is actually the, the foundational verses to the original sin. You guys hear of the original sin, of Adam's sin. That imputation that we get because of his sin, we also are sinners. We're declared sinners as well. That imputation that he gives to us, or it's our inheritance that we get. Okay, at the end of verse 14... It says Adam is a type of a of, he's a type of the one to come. So he's speaking of a type of Christ. Adam is a type of Christ. So not in not in stature, not in conduct, not in his moralism, but being ahead. Okay, being ahead of people, he is a type of Christ, just like Jesus. Okay, because of Jesus's imputation of righteousness, all those under him, his headship are saved. Adam, as his headship, all those who are under Adam are imputed uh, condemnation and sin all die. 
Okay, so that's where the comparison is. And we're going to look at uh, verses 15 through 19. And we're going to watch how Paul compares and contrasts Adam to Christ. Okay. Remember, this is the, this is the last part of the justification doctrine. Of what he wants people to understand and know. This is what's true about how you are saved. Okay, so he really wants to pound this home. And what he loves and what you and I should love is the power of God's um, gift to us of justification through Jesus, his son, and how it actually is more powerful than this very powerful sin of Adam's. Okay, so Paul wants us to get that. He wants us to, at the end of this thing, feel the 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 the. The size, not the weight. The weight's been lifted off. He wants us to feel the size and understand the implications, the magnitude of how powerful this justification is. Okay? Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Okay, so here begins our comparison. Free gift and a trespass. So what's the free gift? It was back in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, we, we saw, like I said, all the, all the way leading up to this, that we're not good, we're doomed to hell. Here's the free gift. For those of us who have faith in Christ, we get peace with God. We get reconciled to God. We get made right, not because of us, but because of our faith. Uh, I won't unpack that anymore today because Rory's already done it in the past few weeks. Go back and listen if you need help uh, there. So this free gift that God gives us is contrasted with the trespass. And it says, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So what happens here? We see, because of the trespass, many died. Who's many? All under the head of Adam, right? Who is that? That's all of us. Okay, so Paul's wanting us to see this encompasses all of us. So all of us have died. Just kind of reiterating what he already stated. And that through Jesus, we get grace from God. We get forgiveness, okay? Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. So here we're told in verse 16 that this sin of Adam's, not only brought death, but in it, it brought condemnation. So we're sinful, sin-filled. Okay? Keep going. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So, comparing it again, the one sin brought death, brought condemnation. The many sins, the many trespasses brought justification. That shows you the power right there of this justification that Jesus owns. In verse 17, For if because one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What I want to note in 17, we'll get back to it, what I want to note here just for right now is those who receive the abundance so those who receive so it's not all it's for those who receive okay and that helps us out in the next verse verse 18 therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, universalists have taken this verse and they've used this, how it can initially sound as the foundation for their doctrine that all men end up being saved. But remember, we're comparing and contrasting those in Adam and those in God. Those in Jesus. And it says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, all for all men. So those are all men under Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's all men under Jesus. So they're not the same alls. Okay? We don't want to be confused there. Okay, we might have an objection here. We might have had an objection back in verse 12. And here's that objection. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. Why am I screwed for what Adam did? Why am I condemned for what Adam did? This isn't fair. He sinned, now I get his sin? Man, that's, that's real fair, God. That's real loving, God. Why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to us? This isn't fair. First and foremost, we have to understand, we read the whole of the scripture, and we understand that God is very fair. He's very just. He's fair because he's just. He's fair because he's perfect. He loves. He loves unconditionally. He's right. So this, you guys, is right of God. We can't argue that, or we've got to argue the rest of scripture. But let me tell you something that might help even a little bit better than that. For those of you who want to argue if this is fair or not, do you really want to play that game? Do you really want to go, I want what's fair? Do you really want to throw your fist down and say, I want what's fair? I want my shot at what Adam did. I want to see if I can live the life, the perfect life. I want to see if I can do it and then enter heaven. I want to see that every thought is held captive, that, that I don't even have an impure thought. Not just actions, but my thought and my heart never go bad. I want to take that chance. You want to go there? You want to try to play for fair? So, this scripture tells us that we get this imputed sin. You know what's not fair? That we get imputed righteousness of God. That's not fair either. That's what's not fair. You guys want to roll the dice and try to be God? You guys want to talk about what's fair? Or are you okay to receive the righteousness that does not belong to you for salvation? I don't want to go over here. I don't want to try to be Adam. I don't want to try to do what he did because I'm pretty sure that I'd fail that first day too. Okay, so we um, kind of rebutted that objection there. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's, a, that's an awesome verse. We realize, we look up here, we remember back at verse 12, and we see this corruption and this sin and, and, and death and everything hanging over us, this big cloud with no hope. 
Everybody here, Christian or not, knows that everybody dies. Everybody knows that. Nobody is hoping against death. Everybody gets that. And we as believers, we as people who understand Scripture, see that there's a spiritual death too. There's a spiritual death and a physical death. And the physical death for we as believers now just becomes a doorway into a perfect body with a perfect ending, with a perfect God for a perfect eternity. It's not to be feared. It's not to be afraid. We don't have to fear death any longer. So as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience. And you guys, and we understand this is by Jesus' perfect life. The life that you and I couldn't live. And then his death and then his resurrection that this is powerful. That this is made true. One way. This is one way. Paul wants us to get. He wants us to understand. He wants us to, to be able to face Satan's question to us. Is this really all there is? Satan is a the, is the master of deception. That's his power. That's his strength. He confuses us. I don't know how it all works, but he's the, he's the master. He doesn't get into the mind or the body of the, of the Christian. But somehow our sin takes us there. We start questioning. And Paul wants us to know right here, very explicitly, one man's sin brought disobedience. One man's life, death, and resurrection is hope for all, period. You don't add to it. That's not the design Right here is where Satan goes, what, 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 about, what about the law? I mean, the law is there for something, right? What about that mosaic? That law was given to Moses from God to share with his people. Don't forget about that law. Don't you forget about that. Paul addresses that already um, previously. In verse uh, 27 of chapter 3, it's what becomes of our boasting? He was already unpacking what faith was, just trusting in God. Well, then what about what I do? What about what I need to do then? You know what Paul says of that? It's excluded. It's gone. Verse 31 says, then, do we throw, overthrow this faith? Do we just say, ah, overthrow this, uh, this law by faith? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We don't get rid of the law. The law was fulfilled in one man. You see, you guys, perfection was required. A perfect life was required. Obeying all the rules, if you will. But it goes far beyond that. Loving like God loves. A perfect life was required. And that one was Jesus. It's not you, and it's not me. And Satan throws at us again here in verse 20. You can see Paul almost answering the objection again because you see that it's just one man bringing sin and one man bringing righteousness. 
It says, verse 20, now the law came to increase the trespass. Right here, the Jewish people are going, what? The law came? You mean, no, the law came to decrease sin, not increase sin. What are you saying here, Paul? Paul's saying, man in the beginning had the law written on his heart, and he sinned. He should have known better. What was plain about God was there to be perceived, and he sinned. Now the law came through Moses, and you get to look at it, and you, now you willingly sin. And now you look at it, and you willingly disobey and exact commands. Keeping everything perfect. Doing it all just right. That's supposed to be there, you guys, so that we see that we can't do this. Here's the law, and it has to be fulfilled. And we throw up our hands and we go, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm condemned. But we see in Romans 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So through Jesus and his blood, his perfect life, his death, resurrect, through him, we are perfect when faced up against that law because he lived it. We could never do it. The law isn't there to push us to good works. That's not what the law is for. The law is there to show you that you need a savior. That's the law. This is where so many of us are so thankful for God's grace as believers. We, we totally understand and we get that his grace gives us forgiveness. But what I want to show you, look back up in verse 17. Something that we really need to get and sink our teeth into today. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned that through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace who receive this grace, this forgiveness of sin, and the free gift of His righteousness. That's a double imputation. That's more powerful than sin. That's more powerful than what Adam could do. You see, God's ability in Jesus on the cross does not just take your sin to zero. All that I did, it took me back to zero. He forgave it all. Yes, it does that. But guess what? And he imputes perfection permanently in your life. That's the double imputation. That's what we have to get. That's what crushes legalism. That's what crushes, I have to do this for God. I have to be good enough. I have to be accepted. I have to prove that I'm saved. That, that question that always lingers in our mind, am I really saved? Look at me. That kills it. This is the end of justification. And Paul wants you desperately, Christians, to get this. It's not about you. It's not about your good works. It can't be. The gospel wouldn't be true. Jesus wouldn't be needed.
I know there's some yeah buts, but First John talks about obedience and equates it to belief. I understand that. That's not in this text. This is the end of justification. And I'm not discrediting that, but I'm not talking about that today. What I'm talking about is this is the end. You can put a period after Jesus' work. It's over. Okay? It's over. Turn to Romans. Turn to Romans. Chapter 8, uh, verse 29 real quickly. Romans 8, 29. If you see anything in here in this text that I'm going to read that you need to do, then you go ahead and you do it. Verse 29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, whom God foreknew, he also predestined, he elected, he chose to be conformed. So he does the conforming to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know what he just did? He took you through everything in the Christian life. Justification. He took you through election before you were born, through God calling you and conforming you, justifying you, saving you, to glorifying you at death. I didn't see your name anywhere in there. I didn't see anything dependent upon you. Because it's not. Everything rides on Him. All your eggs better be in that basket, not you and Jesus working this out after you've been justified. We're talking about justification here, not a sanctifying work in God that God does through the saved Christian. Let's look down there, verse 31. It says, well, here's a good question right after that. Well, then, well, then what shall we say to these things? If that's all true, in other words, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is creator and judge, and then he imputes all this to me and he does all this to me, well, then who's going to be against us? No one. No one. And he answers that here in just a couple verses. Verse 32 says, he, did not, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33 is huge. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to do it? It didn't say against God's Christian. It says elect. God's people. God's chosen one. It could have said God's Christian. Or against the Christian. So can I lose this? Can I? It's God's elect, period. God chose. God does it. It's all God, for God, through Him, by Him, and in Him. Salvation belongs to God. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. We win. We win. His work is sufficient. It's powerful. And that is the end of justification of Romans. He wants us to get that point. This power that is in the cross. This power that is in the life of Christ. This power that is in our justification because of His righteousness. It wins. It wins. It always wins. Amen? Okay. I want to step back here now, and I want to show you something that's really cool. We were talking earlier in the beginning, you know, what we all need motivation for this Christian life, right? And these things that are difficult and stressful and all these things that are broken. And some of us are just tired. Some of us just wage battle against sin, and we just end up losing all the time. We want to love people. We don't. We have relationship problems, problems at work. Problems with, I'm not content, I'm not satisfied with anything. Where do we get the motivation, you guys, to live where that's not true all the time? Turn with me to Romans 1. Just flip back to Romans 1. I want you to see something. Many people see Romans as they call it the Romans Road. This is the book for salvation. That is true that salvation is taught here, but you guys, you know what? That is not the point of Romans. It is not the point of Romans. That may come as a shock to some of you. It's not the point. Christ, the hero, isn't even developed that much in Romans. The church isn't developed at all in Romans. So this isn't the entire doctrine for salvation. The reason why Paul does this is because of what it leads to. Okay, look at this. Verse 1, Paul says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship. Right here, I want you to notice this. Here's what we've received. It's for this. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's writing this letter to a church of believers. This letter's not going out. This isn't an uh, outreach where I want to reach out and, and, and save all these people. Yes, he loves that and knows that this will probably lead to salvation, but that's not his thrust. His thrust is this in writing this letter, so that this letter will bring about the obedience of faith that he's going to talk about for the sake of the glory of God. So we know, we've been teaching, we've been learning that, that what we're to be about is the glory of God. That's the primary thing. That's our focus. That's our joy, actually. When we glory in God, we get joy. Okay, we're showing here that Paul has no different aim. Same aim. I want to bring about the glory of God. How is that done? It's in the obedience of faith of believers. How do I know this? 
Because the first three chapters talk about condemnation as believers. Three through the end of five talk about justification. And basically the remaining chapters, specifically starting in 12 onward, talk about Christian living. His aim here is that we'd live like Christians. His aim is that we'd have this obedience because of this faith. The doorway to that Christian living, the doorway to that obedience is justification, is our understanding of justification. It's our understanding of what God has done for me. That's what leads to, that's how I get from this room where it's all condemnation, all going to hell, all bad, all wicked, I'm an enemy of God, into this room over here where I'm saved and doing Christ-like things. Worshiping Him and loving Him. There's a room and there's a room. Somehow I've got to get from here to here. And Paul teaches believers it's by this method right here. We remind each other of justification. We, you guys, as believers, need to hear it over and over and over. The problem is sometimes we just, okay, I got, I got this salvation gig. I understand that. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Let's talk about some deeper things. I want to get to doing some stuff for God. And so what we do is we go, I understand 1, 2, and 3, verses or chapters 1, 2, and 3 are true. I see that all man's wicked. I want to get over here. I need to get over here. I'm going to do some good stuff for God. And we forget about the fuel and the motivation that does that. Paul says it's the gospel. It's the hope of Jesus Christ. It's that we get glorified bodies with him. It's that we were heading to hell and we're not now. We get God. We get peace with God. We got saved from the wrath of God. This is our motivation for living. So, you guys... Paul's intent with this epistle of Romans, and he spends so much time talking about salvation, it is for the purpose of your obedience in faith. Your hope that you get here. I mean, can we, I want to say that as, you know, as many ways as I can. I want that to be so clear. I mean, man, I just really realized that um, in the last couple days of just studying this and seeing that that was his intent. I'm going to show you that. If you don't believe it, you aren't quite satisfied just yet, I want to show you that our motivation is spoken about always how we live and what we do. It's fueled by this justification. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here's the fuel. As God in Christ forgave you. Do all these things because you're forgiven. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Here's our fuel. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 says this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you. How can I do that? How can I look to people and think of them better than me? How can I be humble in front of people? I mean, everybody wants to be able to do that, right? How am I going to be able to do that? It says, this is your mind in Christ Jesus, our fuel, our motivation. Who, though 
he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Justification. Jesus dying for me. I get that. Here's what he did. I can have humility. A couple more. Colossians 3 talks, gives us a whole list of be like this, do this, do this, 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 or this. Here's what it says, 3.1. If you have been raised with Christ, if you've been saved, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So live like God. Seek the things of God because your life is hidden with him. Justification. Okay, I'm going to turn to Matthew. I want to show you that God not only, this isn't, or this, rather, this isn't just a recommendation that we should do this, and this gives us our fuel. God expects that this is how we think. God expects this is where our fuel is going to come. He expects, actually, that how you treat people, how you deal with people, where you get your motivation to love people, where you get your motivation from God, is when you remember what God did for you. So it isn't just a good idea, Christian, to try to think back to what God did. God expects it. Listen to this. 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do, not say, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Verse 23, I want you to hear this. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pray, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were greatly distressed, and they, had, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Hear this, verse 35. So also, this is Jesus talking. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So in this parable here that Jesus is saying, he's saying, you get your fuel, you get your motivation, you get your power to forgive your brother by remembering what I did for you. And if you don't, you're not forgiven. That's the word of the Lord. That's Jesus' words to us. 
What he's saying there, you guys, is if you don't forgive people, you probably haven't been forgiven. If you don't understand forgiveness, yeah, but this guy, you don't know what this guy did or this gal did, or you don't know what my wife did, or my husband or my child or my boss or my coworker. You don't know what they've done. Then Jesus says, and you don't know what I've done. You don't understand forgiveness. You guys, if you're in Christ, you get forgiveness. And you understand forgiveness. Last one, Titus 2 says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Listen to what it says salvation does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We could have just stopped and just had just lavished in, in the truth of, of what was the end of justification and just see that Jesus has done it all. That he has done it all because that is the end. And there's joy and there's peace and all these things to live a life are there. But I just wanted to show you Paul's intent in this letter and how that is the gateway. That is the door into obedience into Christian living, Christian character, into hope, into being able to deal and live with disappointment, discouragement, um, frustrations, pain, suffering, all those things. This is the doorway, you guys, remembering justification. Don't be that person that bounces back from the latter chapters of Romans to the first chapters of Romans and forgets about justification. We so badly want to be good people, we just kind of flip back to Romans 12 and we see these lists of what we should be like in Christ. And so we go to that list and we go, I've got to do this, I'm a Christian. And then you guys know what happens, you fail. You fail. And then you know, you know where you go? Oftentimes we go back to believing the lie of the enemy, Romans 1, 2, and 3, I'm condemned. Am I really even saved? I don't know if I really trust God. If you're saved, if you believe in God, if you've repented of your sin and turned to Jesus, if you have faith, you never, ever, ever have to go back to Romans 1, 2, and 3. Romans 8 is far enough. Romans 5, justification. Romans 8 tells us that we are now, therefore, not condemned. We're not condemned. Don't let Satan feed you that lie. Don't let it happen. You strip the gospel of its power. You strip Jesus of his perfect life that he lived out.
You guys live in Romans 3 through 5. Live there. Spend your time there. Look at justification over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then do it some more and do it some more. That is your fuel for life. This is a hard, broken world. That life. Because you guys, when you see that, why does it bring that? Because when you see that, when you look at the word and when you look at justification, you're humbled. You're very low. And you're very thankful. And you realize what you just were saved from and you've got a lot of joy. How does that person be a jerk to somebody else? How does that person look down on somebody else? How does that person constantly irritate his wife or his husband? How is that person not just satisfied with everything that life brings? I know we're not perfect and we won't be perfect there, but that's what humility brings. That's what lowness of life and lowness of spirit. Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, just bankrupt, just small, just down, just low, so God can be the hero. It's fuel for life, all parts of life. Don't just think that message is for unbelievers. It's for believers. Paul just used it. That's what it's for. It's for unbelievers too. It's great news, great joy, great hope. It's for all of us just the same. You guys, I want to pray a prayer over you. Okay, I'm going to read a prayer. So close your eyes, if you will, right now. I understand that there's been difficulty, there's sorrow. I go through it too. There's pain, there's torment. We are broken sinners in a fallen world. I get that. And I get that not every time you open the word and you just read the story of the resurrection that your heart isn't just filled with joy and flooded with tears. I get that. I've been there too. This is God's prayer for you here. This is Paul's prayer for his people. And I want to pray this over us right now. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, here's what I want you to know, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And Father, I just agree with that. I could not put it any better. Could not have any higher thought for these people, Lord. I just beg you that this goes from head to heart. 
that we not only see that this is true, Lord, as believers, and if someone's not a believer, Lord, that they would see it's true, but they would feel the power, they would know the power, they would understand it experientially in their lives, God. Please give us that gift. Please give us that gift to see you and to see how good you are. Please let us believe how powerful Jesus was at the cross and is in redeeming us, Lord. God, let us buy into all of you. Let us put everything on Jesus. I just thank you, Lord, for this time to be able to plead to you on behalf of our congregation here, Lord. God, we praise your name. We are thankful for what you do. Thankful for your word. Thankful for your promises. Thankful for your power. Thankful for your love. Praise be to God. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.